Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Colts Authority Radio. I'm your host, Kyle Rodriguez, along with my co-host, Scott Kazmar, in from Football Outsiders today, talking about the conference championship weekend and ball gate and onside kick Gazi and missing rule books and controversy and the most hated Super Bowl teams uh, in years. So this could be fun. Well, we'll likely end up previewing the Super Bowl next week. With the, so we'll have a, a couple of shorter shows, shorter show this week, shorter show next week. Uh, rather than lumping it all into one, so we can dig into it a little more. Uh, but today, so today we'll be looking at the conference championships. Uh, one great game, one. Nah, uh, yeah, we'll leave it at that. Uh, with that, let me go ahead and bring on my co-host Scott. Scott, how are you doing today? How do you think I'm doing? I think you're doing horrifically because this weekend was probably the worst outcome of all the possible outcomes. Well, the, the weekend was fine. I'm talking about today. Just today? Well, I mean, I, I guess if you throw in today, too. I bet you. I bet your day on Twitter today was fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> in case you uh, are yeah, go ahead, Scott. Why don't you why don't you, you take us through what's going on? No, I was I was just gonna read I was just gonna read the one that came right through. We forgive you your filthy ignorance. Nothing personal. Nothing nothing personal. Okay. <laughs> That's a, I actually had a person tweet something racist at me and then block me. It doesn't work that way. Usually when someone tweets something racist, you block them. So I kinda had a very strange day so far. You know, Scott, that's what you get when you when you take classes when you're trying to expose controversy. You know, that's why I, I leave the controversy to Skip Bayless. You know, he can deal with to the, it. To the I don't I don't think Skip Bayless ever looks at his mentions on Twitter. I wouldn't be able he to He doesn't even follow anyone. <laughs> I know. Like he lit his sole purpose for Twitter is to just go on and write things that will make people insanely upset and then watch first take the next morning <laughs> that's that's the literally the only reason i don't think he's ever has has he ever actually like tagged somebody in a tweet i don't think he has i've never seen it i, I try to avoid everything he does but i mean he doesn't even tweet that much usually usually he just like tweets every once in a while i think I don't actually follow him. I, I stopped following him because it, it was too much. But I but he used to just like tweet every once in a while something super uh, random and offensive. But now I'm looking at his timeline. It looks like he's been t- he tweeted a lot last weekend. 
and probably none of them are worth looking at. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to back to the games. All right, conference championship weekend, Scott. Uh, for, let's let's get this game out of the way. Um, Colts went to Foxborough and and died, and the Colts franchise will will no longer exist in the NFL. Final score, 45-7. Pretty much the exact same game we've seen for the last three years, except even worse. Somehow the Colts have have added new players and have have seen the the, the Patriots game plan multiple times the last three years and yet still somehow have have actually gotten worse. Uh, So 45-7. Worst loss since 2011 when the Colts went to New Orleans and lost 62-7. So... Still not that bad, so we got we got, we got that going for us. But it was it was a really depressing game for Colts fans. For Patriots fans, I I think it was depressing for Colts fans, and then also for general human beings who wanted to see the just the Boston arrogance not get rewarded the way it was. There was so much from the Boston Skip Baylesses like Dan Shaughnessy uh, of how. The Colts had no chance in this game, and blah, blah, blah. it was going to be another blowout, and blah, blah, blah. And while that was somewhat true, because the Colts matched up so poorly, I just did not want to see them get blown out again just to validate that that arrogance. And then they did, because there's no justice in football. Scott, what was uh, what were your biggest takeaways from this one? Garrett Blunt lives and breathes the smoke weed and run all over the Colts. I mean, the guy's done nothing else in the last year of his life. Uh, just unbelievable. They pulled him out and just dominated the game. I mean, uh, same. It wasn't even always the six linemen. It was just complete domination up front. And, uh, you know, to me, the Colts, the real disappointing part is really the offense. You just expected to see more. I mean, you can easily argue that was one of the three worst games of Andrew Luck's career. I don't think there'd be any big argument with that. Um, you know, it was just early chances. I mean, you get the Josh Cribbs uh, fumble on the punt, give Brady great field position. Um, you know, you throw two good passes. Dan Heron drops them. The deep one would have been inside the five-yard line. You know, Vinatieri misses a field goal. I mean, if he doesn't miss the field goal or if he catches one of them passes, you know, the Colts are scoring 10 to 14 points in the first half on four drives. That's That's good. I mean, you'll take that for the offense. You'll take that on the road. And, you know, the defense obviously had problems. But, you know, they only come away with the 93-yard touchdown drive, which <laughs> looking at the rest of the games feels like a fluke. And there were some yes. penalties on that drive that helped. So that's, I mean, you know, you get the double score from New England, which you always dread, and that's why you like to win the coin toss and, make, and defer and make them go first, but that didn't, that didn't happen again. So, I mean, the double score, it's 24-7, and you're pretty much dead in the third quarter, and that's when luck really started missing. And, um, you know, I mean, the, the long delay at the start of the half, obviously that had something to do with this deflate gate thing, obviously. You never see a half with that kind of delay. And, again, I mean, I think, uh, you know, it didn't have an impact on the game, I don't think, too much at all. I mean, the Colts just were not going to be able to stop him on the ground. And, you know, Brady, if they if they removed the balls for the second half and put new good ones in, you know, Brady played much better with the new balls. I mean, he was like 12 out of 14 in the second half with one drop. Uh, in the first half, he was pretty mediocre. I mean, like 12 out of 11 out of 21 for 90-some yards and a pick. 
So, I mean, he actually played a lot better with the better balls or the normal balls of all, all these balls. And, uh, again, Andrew Luck, Andrew Luck just, I don't know, man. His accuracy just wasn't there. And T.Y. Hilton, I mean, what did he put up in the two games against the Patriots this year, like 60 yards? I mean, that's a half for him a lot of weeks. Uh, they shut him down, and it wasn't even just, okay, we're going to put Dr. Earl Rivas on you every play and follow you around. It wasn't even like that. And they just shut him down, and pretty impressive defense. And, yeah, I mean, New England uh, kind of had it all going in, in that game. Yeah, and I look at this game, and I see – I just see a lot of, of, of coaching errors or, or, you know, poor preparation, uh, poor game planning for, for the Colts. Uh, you know, you come into this game – it, you know, to some extent, and we talked about it last week, Scott, you, you kind of wonder, you know, is New England going to gonna come out with the same game plan we've seen in the last couple of years? Are they going to switch it up? Uh, and that's, I mean, that's part of the, the Belichick aura. Uh, they, you know, you're always kind of wondering, you're not sure what you're going to get from them. Uh, well, it turns out they were just going to come in with the same game plan, really defensively, offensively. Uh, defensively, they, they were able to, they really did the exact same thing coverage wise. They, they put Kyle Arrington on T.Y. Hilton most of the time and, and covered him up with the safety and, and trusted Browner and uh, Revis to really take care of the rest in, in one-on-one matchups. Uh, the Colts were actually able to run the ball pretty well in the first half. They ran for like five yards a carry, but uh, you know, once, like you said, you get the double score uh, out of halftime and you're down 24 to seven the next time you get the ball in the second half, you know, midway through the third quarter, uh, it's tough to start trying to get a run game and going after that. Um, like you said, the first half, uh, the Patriots were clearly in control, but thanks to the interception uh, and thanks to the Colts actually being able to move the ball a little bit offensively, it was still close. And you take away a couple of those little mistakes, and it's a it's a completely different ball game. The Josh Cribbs, you know, muffed punt. I mean, that that completely changes the game. Instead of the Colts getting the ball and a chance to to start the game ahead, you know, the Patriots go down and score a touchdown, and and the Colts are right back where we've seen them the last you know the last three years down in the beginning of the game against the Patriots. Uh, and they did, they were able to score a touchdown, make it, make it 14 to seven. And had they been able to score earlier on the, on the missed field goal, if they were able to, to get the, the drops in and score a touchdown, like you said, that's 10 to 14 points on four drives. That's, I mean, that's a really, that's a good half. The, the problem was defensively, but you know, you get, you, then the next thing that happens, the Patriots go down, they kick a field goal, they get the ball on the other side of halftime, they score a touchdown. Uh, the Colts come out and go three and out, and then the Patriots score another. I mean, you're down 31-7 before you you get the ball back more than once after scoring that touchdown. So they've never able to get into a rhythm. Uh, and offensively, I thought they really needed to come out with a better plan to not only get T.Y. Hilton free, because, I mean, just going up one-on-one against – Arrington and, and Devin McCourty over top of you, who's one of the better, better safeties in the league. Uh, it's it's a tough, tough task for a guy like Hilton, who doesn't necessarily win at the catch point, but but does a good job of getting separation against one-on-one coverage. Uh, and then, you know, you just, you didn't do anything. You just didn't do enough to get your other receivers open. Luck really had nowhere to go and, and wasn't, you know, the, wasn't making the wow throws that he has at times this postseason to get those balls into to small spaces. Just a complete, really, team collapse for the Colts, and especially, I think, defensively, where you just, you know, when you've got, when you look at the Patriots' drives and it goes, you know, they get, they punt it once uh, the whole game until you get into the third quarter and it's a 38-point game. You know, something, something's wrong. Uh, 
Scott, for the Colts going forward, I mean, what is the the biggest issue that they need to address over the offseason? Is it is it just little things? Is it a big schematic thing? Is it, you know, one or two guys? Scott? Yeah, I went silent for a second. But okay. Um yeah, I mean, I think the Colts are kind of stuck in a bad position just because, you know, they they have way too many of these performances. You know, I was putting the stats out the other day. That's the tenth time already they've allowed 40 points under Andrew Luck three seasons. I mean, you look at the teams that are behind them, you know, six or seven times, those are teams that aren't making the playoffs. I mean, you Jaguars, Raiders, Redskins, Bears, teams like that. So, I mean, they just have these games way too often, and, I think that reflects poorly on Pagano and the staff, uh, you know, getting the team ready, talk about the game plan. I mean, I think I saw Jack Doyle out wide a couple times. I mean, to me, they had to attack, they had to attack this team, I think, with a lot of four receivers. And that's something I kind of was hoping to see a lot all year, you know, getting Fleener and Allen on the field. Even if, you know, you keep Allen at tight end or in-line tight end, put Fleener in the slot. I mean, Fleener had some really good moments this year. Um, and then, you know, get Dante Moncrief more involved. I thought Hakeem Nix played well at the end of the season. Uh, and getting Reggie Wayne taking a lot of snaps, even though obviously not the same player he used to be. And, yeah, just not a great game plan. And, again, I think more so it's on the defense, uh, just the way they can't get stops, um, especially against the good teams. And, you know, the problem is where do you really go? Because, you know, you can only do so much with one draft, and they haven't been – Ryan Grigson has not been drafting, um, you know, really good defensive players. I mean, you look at – Jaron Verner is sitting on the uh, you know inactive list on Sunday, uh, first round pick, and that's the problem. They don't have the young guys. I mean, bringing back Robert Mathis. I mean, what would he be? Thirty four next He's year. He's turning thirty four this year. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's not going to. So- I mean, that'll, that'll make you a little better, but you know that one that one old player is not going to make this unit you know hold hold New England under twenty four points all of a sudden. But uh, again, Vontae Davis it was a good trade. That was you know, a good move. But, again, they lack young talent on defense, and that's a major problem. And I don't know where you really go from there. I mean, they uh, have had some trades that have been good, some that have been bad. I mean, the running back, and then that's the other problem. Running back is a is a problem. I mean, I think Dan Heron's a decent player, but that's not your, you know, your starting running back. It's not a guy you really want. I mean, he's more of the Donald Brown type that they had before. You know, you rather have – uh, maybe I'll met Bradshaw, but because he has injury problems and is old. But again, they have a lot of holes to fill, and they just, you know, you can't only do so much in one off season. And I don't think Grigson has really shown the ability to build the defense uh, by getting so many free agents that you know are middle aged or old, and just haven't really panned out. Yeah, you look at like you said, not just not enough young playmaking talent, especially defensively. Uh, in defensive line, best defensive line on the team's Corey Redding. He's uh, what thirty four, gonna uh, possibly retire after this season. He'll be a free agent. You got Mike Adams in the secondary, the best safety on the team, and second best secondary outside of Vontae Davis. He's uh, what thirty one, thirty two. I think he's thirty two. He's gonna be a free agent this year. Um, and then linebacker, you know, they, they were extremely underwhelming again on Sunday, just, you know, going to the wrong holes, missing tackles. Uh, and the defensive line obviously didn't didn't do a whole lot to help. 
Uh, Arthur Jones was brought in to for this specific situation, and and he was bad Sunday too. So well, these these free agents that they're bringing in, like you said, just aren't making it enough of an impact to you know be those players you can build a team around. Vontae Davis being one of the few exceptions. They've they've brought in a few players for in free agency that have helped. But they're just, you know, like you said, a lot of them older, uh, having some injury issues. Ahmad Bradshaw, like you said, best running back. He's turning 29 and has obviously a, a very big history of injuries. Uh, so still a lot of holes. And even you look, you know, I was th- uh, who was Stephen Holder of the Indianapolis Star uh, wrote a story. Uh, must have been earlier this week sometime. I don't remember. I, did, I didn't actually read the story. I just read the headline on Twitter. But it was basically I talking to him on Twitter. The juxtaposition of it was uh, – you know, the Colts, their strength is the skill positions, but they really need to improve the offensive line uh, and the defensive line winning the trenches, which, I mean, I, w- I would say the Colts definitely lost the game in the trenches against the, the Patriots. I mean, they were beat up, but but you look at their skill positions going into next year, wide receiver, the only wide receivers on the roster for next year that had any significant playing time this year were T.Y. Hilton and Dante Moncrief. Uh, and, and a running back, obviously, Trent Richardson's probably gone. Ahmad Bradshaw is a free agent and has an injury history. Dan Heron's a restricted free agent, so he could be back. So, I mean, you're you're right now looking at a, a team with a roster of Zerlon Tipton, uh, potentially Dan Heron, and T.Y. Hilton and Dante Moncrief. Those, I mean, those are your four skill position guys. Uh, so, I, <laughs> I mean, if that's your strength, supposedly uh, offensively, you you just there's a lot of holes that the Colts have to take care of, and they have tap space, and they have. Uh, at least eight draft picks to work with, which is nice, but but a lot of work still has to be done for that roster to really be a Super Bowl contender. And you could you could make the argument that they were in the the AFC Championship game and blah blah blah, but but nobody looked at this team and said they're a Super Bowl contender this season. They were a, they were a playoff team. They're a team that made the playoffs, but but really that was that was always going to be their cap. All right, uh, on the other side of the ball. Before we get to Deflate Gate, uh, Scott, the Patriots. You know, we've looked at Belichick and that coaching staff, and we've seen them come out with you know great game plans before. Obviously, this time, I, I clearly outcoached Pagano and, and his staff. Um, the offensive line had another really strong day, but I think the big thing for me was, I mean, Legarrette Blunt just looked fantastic. I mean, it wasn't just the offensive line was was pushing the Colts backwards four yards in every play. And Garrett Blunt was making guys miss in the backfield. He was running over guys. He was getting yards after contact. I mean, he he looks uh, like a guy on fire on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, he made some pretty great moves on a field that wasn't in good shape, really. And, again, it's so hard to look at him play like that when, you know, he came off a game where he had three carries for one yard. And, I mean, <laughs> yeah, just a – the flexibility the Patriots have is just ridiculous that they can run for 13 yards one week and then you know, pour it on the next week. And it's all based on who they're playing. And you know, that's the way football should be. And few teams are built like that. You know, you have all these coaches that are, we do what we do. I mean, it's just what it is every week. I mean, that's what you see. And, you know, the Patriots adapt and uh, definitely did the right stuff in this game. And, you know, Gronkowski, he doesn't even have to dominate as a receiver to change the game. I mean, you just see how many times Edelman's just left wide open. Uh, you know, guys like the Air LaFell, guys like that, just, you know, all the attention that Gronkowski draws. And, um, you know, I thought the Colts defended him 
pretty well. I mean, that, that pass in the red zone, I don't know who, what defense can stop that. I mean, you really have to have two guys. You really have to have two guys on them, or it's just, I mean, it's I mean, going to be a catch Davis. every time. Huh? Well, they Davis stopped the first half. <laughs> yeah, I think you got away with a little, uh, a little grab there, but uh, you have to. I mean, <laughs> guys, right. just, guys just too big. And, um, I mean, yeah, look, Garrett Blunt, though, it's just hard to believe that this is the guy that lost eight yards from the one-yard line against the Jets for the Steelers. Uh, just such an embarrassing – he is he is an embarrassing short yardage runner. But you get him in the open field, I mean, he can make some pretty good moves. And, yeah, I mean, the Jonas Gray barely did anything since that big game against the Colts. And, you know, they're riding Blunt, and I think, you know, he's got a pretty decent matchup in the Super Bowl as well. Yeah, they'll definitely need him to uh, balance out that offense like, against the Seahawks uh, in a couple weeks here. Uh, defensively, Scott, for the Patriots, uh, the pass rush has struggled in, in recent weeks, and, and it wasn't like Andrew Luck was getting beat up a ton in this game. But you look back, and I think, I, if I remember correctly, I saw a tweet from somebody from Pro Football Focus, and, and Andrew Luck was still pressured on like half of his, his dropbacks, which is crazy. Uh, the Colts line was actually playing pretty well going into this game, uh, but the, and the Patriots off, uh, defensive line, you know, getting pressure on the quarterback was not. You look back at that that Baltimore game; they really struggled to get any kind of pass rush. Uh, but against the Colts, they were able to get Luck off his spot a little bit. And uh, Joe Wright's at right tackle had, didn't have a good game at all, and and he's been a guy who you know, moves from guard out to tackle and has been a, been done pretty well, but but more of a guard than a tackle. And he struggled on Sunday interior you know struggled as it has for most of the year so it, it's not like it was shocking but given the way the two teams were playing going into this game i was i was a little surprised that the patriots were able to get as much pressure on luck uh, as consistently as they did i guess uh, and, and a big part of that is because when you go down big especially after only having four you know fairly short drives in the first half outside of the one uh you know you get down they're down 24-7, at, you know, so they're down at least 17 points for the entire second half. You know, teams can kind of just tee off and, and go at the quarterback, and that's the, the opposite of what happened against Baltimore last week where they ran the ball so well. Yeah, and I think some of the, the big score yeah, might have um, might have not been paying attention as much in the second half, but yeah, I thought they had better I thought they had better uh, pass rush than Denver did against Locke, but yeah, it wasn't a horror. Yeah, you know, that wasn't wasn't like that. Wasn't like I would look at that and say, "Oh, that's why they they're losing. They can't protect them." Definitely didn't yeah. feel like that kind of game to me. But um, yeah, I just think the coverage was just too good, and Luck just was not finding the receivers. I mean, there were there was like a throw to T. Y. Hilton was a little behind. It was a third and long. It would have been probably short anyway. And just you know, hardly any good looks for Hilton. I mean, you think about it, the only catch that they made was that amazing thirty-six yard play. Which you know the throw was unbelievable. The catch was great. I mean that was the only play that Hilton had in the game. So they really did a great job on him. And I don't know. I mean it's, the New England pass rush. You know Chandler Jones isn't you know, really a great pass rusher. That's probably their one of their best. I mean Minkovich when they when they use him right, he, he can get there sometimes. But you know I mean they don't have any sacks in the postseason. And I actually I, I had to verify that for uh, Christopher Price this week. Uh, if they don't have any sacks in the playoffs and they win, they're actually they'll be the first Super Bowl champion to go through a postseason without a sack. 
but I can't see them beating New uh, beating Seattle without sacking Russell Wilson. So that'll probably be a moot point. But yeah, it's something to think about. Uh, maybe that's a sign that they won't be able to, you know, win the Super Bowl just because they haven't been getting home and finishing those plays. And uh, you know, obviously Russell Wilson was not sacked at all last year against Denver, who had you know one of the better pass rushes. So again, I mean, I think New England's gonna have to finish some plays, but uh, yeah, you have to feel pretty good about the way they just handled the Colts. Certainly, uh, you look at that pass rush and you you want to see them finishing plays. Uh, Pro Football Focus lists them as having 20 hurries on the day. Uh, and Luck was pressured on 18 of his 36 dropbacks, which is 50%, which is a really high rate. Uh, but they only hit Luck twice and they, they didn't get a sack. So that's that's what we're talking about when you talk about finishing those those pass rushes. All right. Uh, let's go ahead and move on then to the NFC Championship. Actually, I guess we have to talk about it, even though <laughs> I don't know how much it really warrants. Uh, but since it's such a story now, Deflate Gate, Scott, uh, the Patriots were found. Well, the full investigation results have not been released yet. But what has been reported is that 11 of the 12 footballs that the Patriots submitted to the NFL were found to be underinflated by two pounds per square inch at halftime uh, after they were alerted by the Colts training staff and Ryan Gregson. Uh, the Colts footballs reportedly were, were the correct inflation. Don't know what happened to the one ball that was correctly inflated. Actually, I think the one ball that was not two pounds under was still underinflated, just not a full, not as much as the other 11, apparently. So, uh, Scott, if it comes back to then here, we, you know, we've got Belichick today saying he has no idea. He never has anything to do with it. Uh, you know, Brady said he has his preferences when it comes to the balls. If it comes back that the NFL does uh, decide or find out that this was an intentional uh a deflation of the balls after the referees had checked the balls two hours prior to the game. Uh, obviously, that would be circumventing the rules and illegal and blah, blah, blah. No, it didn't have anything to do with the final score, but still illegal. So, Scott, when we look at this, you know, do you anticipate any, any meaningful uh, reparations for the Patriots here? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't. I mean, it's hard to say. It's not something we really hear about in the NFL. Uh, kind of took everyone by surprise. I think Sunday night when Bob Kravitz put it out there pretty late. But I mean, to me, it just speaks back to you know the culture of this team and what they will do to get an advantage. And again, just like Spygate, I mean, I don't know how much of an advantage that really is. I know that we can cite some statistics that show New England really outperforms expectations in games with bad weather, which is when you would probably want to be able to have a deflated ball just to make it easier to grip in you know wet conditions and all that. So, I mean, there's definitely been some uh, ridiculous numbers put up by this team in those conditions. And, again, to me, I listening to Belichick this morning, I kind of believe that he didn't have anything to do with it. I, um, you know, just seem if it, if anything, it would be more on the quarterback. And he kind of threw Brady under the bus in that conference, if you listen to it. And I mean, again, it could be a ball boy, an equipment person. I could think, I could see one of those kind of people taking the sword for this. Um, mm -hmm. So just so it doesn't go back on the coach or the quarterback. And, and I don't think anything 
I mean, maybe a $25,000 fine will come of it. And I don't know, maybe they'll look at past um, transgressions from this franchise and make it a steeper fine just because it's, again, the culture of cheating that comes from that team. And, um, you know, personally, if I had my choice of what they would do with this, I, I, I wouldn't do a fine or anything. I would just give them a nice big asterisk to put on the, uh, this season when you look at any list of Super Bowl teams or AFC Championship results. Just put a nice big asterisk next to this one. Uh, <laughs> and to me, some, a permanent stain just, you know, because, again, we're all living now and we're watching this and we know about the Patriots. But, you know, people in 50, 60 years, you know, they're not going to really remember these kind of things or care to dig up the research and look into it. So, uh, you know, a nice little, you know, out, out, outlier, uh, shameful, you know, way to put them away out of every other team. You know, I'd like to see something like that, and that would probably be my idea. But, again, they have to finish the investigation, which not like I really trust – the Goodell and the NFL to come away with a fair investigation for a team that's in the Super Bowl. I mean, come on, and trying to highlight this matchup, they're not going to have a team, you know, that's uh, cheating or whatever. But again, it, they definitely took the balls out of the game, and they were definitely tampered with sometime before the game started because they were checked before the game and they were fine. So, I mean, again, something is definitely not right here. And um, again, it just doesn't surprise me on which team it's happening with and the fact that it is that team is the story you know it's not about the impact it actually had or didn't have in the game and i think the colts could have played with a medicine ball and got their ass kicked but um yeah it's just it is what it is and it's the patriots and it's another cheating scandal uh and brady on nfl live just a few minutes ago uh press conference saying i have no knowledge of anything i have no knowledge of any wrongdoing to my knowledge. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't, I don't know if we really expected anything else, but uh, it is what it is. All right. So that's deflate gate. Another, another asterisk on the Patriots. And, and I, again, I don't think you, I think the Patriots are still going to be the team that's looked back uh, or the franchise that's looked back on as the dominant team of the two thousands and early uh, teens of the millennium. Uh, but, you know, the, there's a little bit of a stain from Spygate, from Ballgate, Ballgazi, whatever you want to call it, uh, whatever new controversy nickname we can get it. But I think you look at the Patriots, and they're still obviously. I mean, they're they've been a fantastically coached team for the last 15 years. Uh, they've they've done a good job for the most part with personnel decisions. Although you you could give a very good argument for the, for the last. Uh, you know, eight years really in, in drafting and saying that they haven't done a great job in drafting, but they've got a really a quarterback who's, you know, going to the Hall of Fame. He's in the conversation uh, with the best quarterbacks of all time. You've, they've got a coach who's in the conversation uh, of the top coaches. But this is the this is something that Belichick and the Patriots are also going to be remembered for, and that's that they push the boundaries. And, and maybe not even skirted the boundaries. Maybe they just jumped right over the boundaries uh, at times. And you do what it takes to win, and that's not anything new in the NFL, but the Patriots are the ones getting caught, not the other teams. And that's that's something that will be noted, uh, not just by by fans, but I think by by the people who who will remember it historically as well. That It's, it's going to be a team that, that is remembered in that light, although I don't think that's ever going to overshadow 
their accomplishments over the last you know 15 years. And if you're a Patriots fan, you'll take three Super Bowls and, and six Super Bowl appearances over that era for you know, Spygate and the a miss, you know, taking away a draft pick. So it is what it is, and I, I I think I'm with you, Scott. I don't I don't really see any meaningful punishment coming out of this from the NFL. Um, there's been I mean we've got we we've got columnists in Indianapolis saying that uh, Belichick should be suspended for all of next season if it found out that that he had anything to do with it. And I mean I, that's just not going to happen. I I just don't see that happening from from the NFL and. And honestly, does is is it worth suspending a coach for a year? I even as a Colts fan, for me, it's like the I don't know. And like you said, it was all kind of odd when we first originally found out about it. Just like what? Just just bizarre. Just a bizarre circumstances all around. All right, uh, Scott. Do we really need to say anything else about about this topic? Can we move on? Yeah, I think so by now. All right. All right. So let's move on to the NFC championship game in Seattle, Green Bay going to Seattle. Uh, one of the, I mean, I, I think the best game in the playoffs, uh, at least with the best ending in the playoffs so far this season. And one of the, I mean, Scott, you were tweeting about the other day, one of the best comebacks we've, we've seen in the playoffs. Um, the Green Bay Packers came out and really dominated for 55 minutes uh, something we we really didn't expect, especially I don't think defensively to to make Russell Wilson look as bad as he he did. I mean, Russell Wilson looked looked awful for what fifty five minutes. Um, just just he had like a zero ESPN QBR I think for the first first fifty eight minutes, uh, which is again it's just it's just crazy that that you could you know the Green Bay defense that has been okay at times, but really, I mean, not a, a great defense this year. Uh, make Russell Wilson, who's been one of the most efficient quarterbacks in the league for the last three seasons, just be as as bad as he was for the first 58 minutes of that game. Uh, the, the, the Packers go up, what, uh, what, what, what was the final? The 16? 16, 16 no, nothing. 19. Yeah, 16 nothing and 19 to 7 in the fourth quarter. Yeah. Is that what it was? So, uh, Scott, let's start on, on that side, you know, for the first 58 minutes, let's start on the Seahawks side of the ball. Russell Wilson just was, was not good. I mean, I mean, not, and not just not good. He was, he was just straight up bad for 58 minutes of this game. Yeah. I mean, even if, even if you take away the two picks that were tipped and intercepted off Jermaine Curse's hands, he was still really bad. Even if you, you know, even if you give him those plays, he was still really bad. Took him a long time to get a completion. Um, you know, just didn't look like the same player. Uh, yeah, you're used to seeing him run around, make things happen. Yeah, he was really giving in on third and long, just throwing little short passes that never had a chance. And, you know, did that quite a bit during the day. And you know, that fake field goal really turned things around. And a uh, nice call there. And, you know, down 16 nothing. And, um, you know, if he didn't get that, I don't know where this game would have been headed. So, I mean, definitely a ballsy play there throwing to a lineman with your punter. But, I mean, it was just that kind of day. It was a better pass than Russell Wilson was throwing at that point. And, you know, I just – I'm not really sure what his deal was, but, um, you know, the, the throw into the end zone, you know, when you think that they were going to get on track, and that was a horrible throw. The one where he just forced it 
I don't know if his son got in his eyes or what. Just two defenders there, easy pick. Now, those were just two horrible throws. And, uh, you know, just not getting anything done. And, you know, Julius Peppers, Clay Matthews were having good games. And, again, but, you know, this is one of those epic games, three-hour, you know, real epic thing that went on there. And, you know, you had to you had to get the feeling that Green Bay wasted too many opportunities in the beginning of the game. I mean, the interception by Richard Sherman, on you know, wonderful catch there. Um, you know, getting all those drives that's starting inside the 33-yard line, coming away with a field goal every time. I mean, again, those were nine points that, you know, the offense really didn't even earn. It was already given to them when they started to drive and just couldn't get it in the end zone. Kicking field goals from the one-yard line twice. I mean, again, I like to think that coaches are getting better with that. I mean, there's not really a better time to go for it on fourth and one when it's the first quarter and it's a scoreless game. I mean, come on, there's no score. You could get it. I mean, it's kind of a 50-50 proposition statistic-wise, but still, even if you don't get it, you put them in such a bad position where you can get a safety, get another possession. Uh, just lots of lots of good things about going forward in that situation. Mike McCarthy, just a uh, really rough week for him. Uh, it's a personal tragedy yesterday. Um but, you know, just a lot of really questionable coaching decisions for him in that first quarter, especially. And, you know, Aaron Rodgers just didn't look like Aaron Rodgers except for that one touchdown pass. Um, you know, they did a very good job of defending him. And, um, you know, the pass rush really wasn't getting there. I wasn't impressed with Seattle's pass rush. But, again, that coverage is really good. And Devontae Adams was a complete no-show, really. Um, you know, it still came down to Nelson and Cobb having to make the plays. And uh, just not enough – going on there, but again, you get Eddie Lacy off to a good start. We talked about how important that was last week, but man, they shut him down. 11 carries for 19 yards to end the game after the first quarter. So again, the, you know, James Starks did rip off that one big run to start the fourth quarter that Richard Sherman got hurt on, but otherwise, I mean, Green, Bay, Green Bay's running game just kind of disappeared, and they got more, they got the lead, and they went in the clock killing mode a bit early because Rodgers wasn't too sharp, and you know, on reflection, I didn't think McCarthy's calls were too bad in those situations. But, again, just, it was a day where the offense just couldn't get anything going on either side by the end of the game. So, you know, just kind of uh, having put it on the defense. And, um, you know, I think you get the fourth interception of the day off of Russell Wilson, another tip ball, and you think you got a good chance to return it. I don't know why Morgan Burnett took a, took a uh, dive there. I mean, supposedly Peppers told him to, which – Again, a veteran should know better. I mean, if there's like under two minutes left, yeah, take a take a knee. Even three minutes when you're up by 12, take a knee. But, man, you cannot just dive right there with over five minutes left against a team that has, you know, a good comeback ability. So, I mean, that was a huge uh, mistake right there. For the first half, uh, Marshawn Lynch only carried the ball nine times, 37 yards, you know, averaging over four years carry, but you can hold Marshawn Lynch to 37 yards and a half. You're, you're doing pretty good defensively. Uh, the Packers doing a, ni- a nice job on the Seattle run game, you know, containing it, keeping it from, from getting out of hand, obviously doing a good job against Russell Wilson in the early parts of that game as well. Uh, the Seahawks only had three first downs in the first half. Green Bay had 12. Uh, Green Bay, here was the thing, and Scott, you mentioned this about missed opportunities. I mean, Green Bay average drive start was the 50-yard line in the first half. And and they had, what, had seven or eight drives in the first half, and they are only able to put up, you know, 16 points. A lot of missed opportunities, 
Uh, a little bit of too much, like you said, playing not to playing not to lose in the second half instead of playing to win. Um, and I said throughout the the second half, the Packers had to keep that a two score game, just because Russell Wilson late in the game with that that offense and his ability to to scramble and their ability to continue to to use the read option uh, and his ability to make plays outside the pot. I mean, you just do not want to have Russell Wilson to have the ball late in the game with, with, you know, down a, a score. Uh, they're, they're just too good at, at getting up the field once they get into that, that hurry up offense. And and it's one of the things you don't see it as much from Seattle because they, they rely on that run game and Marshawn Lynch so much, but they can really, they can move the in that hurry offense if they need to. We saw it earlier this year uh, against Denver as well in that, that game winning drive. Um, and that was where what I was kind of getting flashbacks to was that game. You could you could see it in the Green Bay defense. I mean, once they once Seattle was in their head, they were they were they were done. I mean, Seattle was going to be able to move the ball, and once Seattle got the ball in, in overtime, it, it it really felt like okay. I mean, Russell Wilson made a fantastic throw in overtime for that uh, that touchdown game winning touchdown, but but it it didn't feel like Green Bay was going to do a whole lot to uh, slow Seattle going up the field after they got the ball. Um, the one thing that impressed me, Scott, from Seattle in this game was the continued reliance on their run game in the second half, despite the fact that they were down two scores. We see so many teams uh, get down one, two, one or two scores, and that's it in the, in the second half. And then they immediately go into, into okay, we have to throw the ball all the time. And, and you know, as a Colts fan, I, I think we've seen that from the Colts a lot, and but they don't have the running game that Seattle has either. So. Uh, but you look at, at Seattle, and again, you've got Marshawn Lynch, you've got Russell Wilson. You know, you the running game is such a big part of this. I think they knew that they couldn't just have Russell Wilson drop back 50 times in this game, uh, and so they continued to give Marshawn Lynch the ball, and they continued to hand the ball off and, and trust the run game. And you know, they ended up coming back and winning the game. Marshawn Lynch had had what 120 yards uh, in the second half in overtime alone. So I think that was a big key for them and really a good job by the Seattle coaches uh, not to give up on the run game just because they were down by a couple scores in the second half. Yeah, and I mean, it's a, it's a unique offense where, I mean, you, you watch him and you think, how does this team even score so many points when, you know, you got Doug Baldwin, who I, I like as a receiver, but, you know, he is a pretty low-end number one receiver. And Jermaine Curse, uh, just kind of a, you know, flash in the pan kind of guy, some big, a lot of big plays, but you know, not a consistent receiver at all. And he's basically the number two. And then, you know, Luke Wilson is the tight end. And, you know, it just doesn't seem like an offense that would score a lot. And, you know, obviously they don't throw a lot of passes. And, uh, you know, he didn't, he, he still didn't crack 30 attempts on Sunday, I don't think. And, uh, but again, you know, you look at the end of the game, and you think, why didn't they get the read option? Yeah, you know, with Wilson being a big part of it uh, earlier in the game. I mean, I think they had seven runs for 28 yards on the read option early in the game. Then once Wilson started taking over, you know, it really opened things up and you started seeing the big plays. And, um, you know, it's weird. Someone mentioned the other day that Wilson, you know, he seems to play better uh, or his best moments seem to come, you know, when they're down big. And, you know, obviously Sunday was one of his worst games for you know, a good 56 minutes. But, you know, you look at when he took over down 12, you know, he was fantastic the rest of the game. And, you know, you think of the Atlanta game, down 20 points in the fourth quarter in the playoffs, came back to get that lead. The St. Louis game, down 21-3 to this year, 
you know, 300 yards passing, 100 yards rushing. I mean, you know, those kind of games make you wonder how good he can be, you know, when he has to take over the offense more. And uh, it'll be very interesting to see that, you know, down the, down the road when the team, you know, eventually changes its uh, gears on offense. But, again, I mean, he's an impressive player. Uh, you just don't see it that often because they're usually running the more conservative approach. And, um, you know, sometimes that makes it hard to get into a rhythm and make plays. And again, I think, you know, once he realized what it came down to and, you know, he, and he's got such like a Tim Tebow thing about him too, with the, you know, the, the way he preaches religion and you know, he, he, God made him throw four interceptions. So the ending would be more dramatic. I mean, just ridiculous thing to say, no offense to anyone, but I mean, come on, man. And, uh, yeah, but he relishes this stuff. That's what's crazy. He he wanted. He even told Mike Silver that he pictured the game going to overtime and him making, and he, like days before the game even started. I mean, he got Aaron Rodgers talking about I got 120 minutes left in me. You know, he didn't even consider overtime when he made that statement. And you got this Wilson sitting there dreaming of overtime on Thursday before the games even started. So very different makeup at quarterback here. And but again, I mean, he came through and. You know, he had that big onside kick, obviously, where, uh, I mean, Jordy Nelson is right there. Uh, uh, you know, I mean, you have to let the, the best receiver on the team. You know, I mean, I guess it's the instinct, the instinct to reach up and grab a ball coming your way has got to be pretty high. But, man, make the play or don't touch it. And, you know, Brandon Bostic, I feel real bad for him. But, you know, that's, that's just one that's going to sting for a while because – you know, that really changes the game. I mean, there's a good chance Seattle could still get the ball back, but, you know, they would have really needed an epic drive in the last about 70 seconds to pull that off. But, yeah, I mean, even then, you know, they still had time to, uh, for, they left time for Green Bay to score. And, you know, how about that two point conversion? I mean, how big oh was that? Oh, my gosh. It, how I mean, absurd it's, was that? It's, it was, yeah, it was absurd. I mean, Russell Wilson throws a, a a rainbow. I mean, not even a rainbow. I mean, that that ball went higher than it did far, uh, and it's just a just a jump ball. And who who was the defender? Was that Dix on that defender, or was that a, was that somebody else? Clinton Dix was the closest. Yeah. Well, I just he misplayed the ball by about a, a, what five seconds. I mean, he. He's right with he's right there and he he jumps forward way before the ball comes down. He was just it was a horrific play, uh, and Seattle obviously comes away with it. Um, but the onside kick, you know, Scott, you mentioned it, and then I've seen other mentioned as well. It's you know, well, it's it's, it's hard, you know, obviously with the, the instinct and the ball's coming. You just, but I mean, that's an instinct that should be drilled away from you at this point. I mean, he, it's not like they don't practice onside kicks, and he said it after the game, and I was saying. His role is to block, and that's – I mean, you should you, you should already have your instinct knowing that yeah. your role is, is to block on that. So, I mean, it's just – I mean, I feel bad for the guy because obviously you're, you know, you're put in, in a spot now as, as tough, and, and the, he's handled it really well. I mean, he wasn't afraid to talk to the media. Um, he, he was really open about it right away. Uh, but, but, man, that is just – I feel I, – I have a few friends, Green Bay fans – uh, from work or whatnot, and we kind of had like a group text going during that that night, and even during during the Colts game, I you know we still talking. About, I, I mean, I felt worse for the Green Bay fans still at that point uh, than I did for myself and and Colts fans. But uh, 
maybe not so much a few weeks later when the Colts still have the embarrassing 45 to seven notation down uh, in the record books. But, uh, but at the time, man, that is a, that is a killer just to go from, I mean, people were celebrating. I mean, it was, it was, it was like, okay, this, this game is done. Uh, Seattle fans left the stadium and had to watch the rest of that game yeah. from outside. Uh, just a, yeah, like you said, an epic game. Uh, one that we'll, we'll look back on, you know, we'll look back on like, you know, games like that Pittsburgh, Arizona Super Bowl from years back. Uh, you know, that's years ago, but it feels like it was forever ago already. Um, games like that are the, the you know, Giants, uh, Super Bowl wins and whatnot. I mean, it was just a very classic game. They had to postpone the AFC championship kickoff. That's, that's probably why the ball is deflated, actually. I mean, nobody's looked into that. That's probably the, probably the time they went in and did it. Oh, everybody's watching the game, and Tom Brady comes in and deflates the ball. <laughs> All right. Uh, now, obviously, Scott, you mentioned it, but uh, we'll, we'll say again, the, the fake field goal touchdown throw, just, I mean, a great call from Seattle's coaches and the right call. I mean, with, with the field goal there, uh, they're not, you know, they don't end up coming back to win that game. And, and not only because the, you know, just because math, you know, you look through, they, they wouldn't have won without a field or without a touchdown there, but, but just in terms of the momentum, I don't think, you know, they get a field goal there. I just don't think they ever quite muster up the same momentum to come back and, and win that game. It was just such a big turning point. Uh, and, and did you see Scott, what they said about the call, uh, that the Seattle coaches had noticed that one of the Green Bay linebackers uh, had been crashing in from the outside too early and leaving room for a play like that. I'm trying to remember who it was, which Green Bay linebacker it was. So the call was basically, okay, if you go out there, if that, if this, you know, number, I know it was like 54, I don't remember who it was, I don't remember. Uh, but if he's out there on the edge, you run the fake. And if he's not, then, then you kick the field goal and, He's on the edge. They they run the fake and it turns out to be a touchdown. Just it's just fascinating to me stuff like that. The coaching that goes into it. Yeah, I mean definitely the right call. I mean down by sixteen, you kick a field goal, you're still down two touchdowns. So I mean you know not much to lose by going for it there and just yeah I mean who would have seen that really coming? That was a pretty pretty crazy play and not like you had experienced uh, holder there. So I mean pretty. Pretty wild play, and yeah, definitely sparked the crowd and got things moving in the right direction. But I mean, yeah, just such a epic game with you know great storylines. Like I mean, they had like an act to it. You know, like the first half was like Act One, and then you know slow build up to Act Two, and then the turnaround came with under four minutes left when the comeback started. And you know, Russell Wilson. I mean, it seems like Seattle's the only offense that takes advantage of the new overtime rules. I mean, 51 games, there's been nine touchdowns by the team that got the ball first, and three of them are Seattle, and they're all 80-yard <laughs> drives. And, you know, that was an 87-yard drive. That was, the, that was the worst field position any team started overtime with in those 51 games, the 13-yard line. And I was ready to start ripping on him for taking the ball first when it was third down, and you know, he just floats a rainbow for Doug Baldwin, 35 yards, perfect pass. And then another one. 
you know, kind of a silly defensive call from Green Bay to not have any safety back. I mean, he's going to throw it deep. It's one of the things he does best. And But, again, I mean, you want to die a slow death with Marshawn Lynch like Denver did in week three, or do you want to take your shot with a deep ball to a guy that's, you know, giving up four interceptions, yeah, four interceptions in coverage, or I mean, on, you know, on targets that day. So again, uh, you know, great throws from Wilson. Just you never really seen it coming the way he started the game. But like I always say, all Russell Wilson games end up close eventually, and you know, his streaks at 82 games are keeping it like that. And the unbelievable that this one was one of them. And um, so yeah, I mean. Unbelievable game, and I guess you know, if I can just take a moment here to, to clear up some of this this morning's fiasco here. You know, I have a, <laughs> I, uh, I'm I'm sick of being held to 140 characters at a, at a time to talk about this, but I mean, let's let's just go over it with the onside kick. You know, I had a a follower of mine that I talk to frequently. You know, he sent me a direct a direct message this morning asking me since he couldn't look at it to look at the onside kick to see you know, if they had um, five players lined up on each side or not. And I didn't really know the rule at the time. I know that there was a change a few years back to eliminate, you know, having that wall of humanity up, up, up on the outside kick that would just, you know, annihilate people and get people hurt. I knew there was a rule change. So yeah, I watched it and I'm like, okay, they got six guys on one side bunched together and the other side had four. So I started Googling, you know, some stuff to see what the rule is and, I was on the NFL.com, the rule thing. I couldn't find on. I kept searching onside kick in the rule books. Couldn't seem to find it, but you had to look under free kick section. But anyway, I saw these articles that I know I've read in the past about rule changes. And you know, again, you have an Associated Press report, which they're not. You know, they're not unflappable. I mean, they make mistakes, but usually it gets corrected. And you know, it's a widely reported article from the owners' meetings in 2009 of the rules that were changed. And, you know, it just had this sentence in there about on kickoffs, the kicking team can't have more than five players bunched together pursuing an onside kick. Breaking that rule would draw a penalty. And I look at that play, and I think anyone looking at that play would say that, you know, they had six guys lined up and pursuing the onside kick bunched together. So that should be a penalty. And it's weird because this was a 2009 rule change. You can find it on NFL.com. You can find people like Judy Batista and Rick Carucci writing about it, you know, known writers. And it's in all these articles. It's on, you know, again, I mentioned Wikipedia. I mean, it's not, that was not my first source. never would be. But, again, it's on there, that information. It's still on there if you look at onside kicks. Uh, to, to this day, that's what it says about onside kicks. So I'm just thinking, you know, they had six guys. So, you know, is that legal? And, again, I was confused on one thing. I definitely got wrong about you can have six on one side, and that's legal. But my whole concern is still where is this rule coming from about having five, more than five bunched together? And apparently that was not correct, or something happened along the way where that never made it into the rule book despite the (laughs) – Despite the fact that it's widely reported on the internet, I mean, I don't know how many more links I have to check before I could say something. I mean, it's all on the internet. Maybe I should go back and change it. But, I mean, as far as I was concerned, that was the rule. And I even remember them specifically targeting the Buffalo Bills, who used to bunch their guys together and, um, you know, attack these onside kicks, and that was leading to injuries. You know, you used to have this big wall of humanity coming down the field right at you. But, I mean, it looked to me like something that was illegal. And, 
you know, I could have maybe waited for another source, or I, mean, I, could, I could have posed it as a question, which is probably all I, all I really needed to do, really, was pose it as a question more than a certainty. And I will tell you this, though, the tons of people that retweeted it, <laughs> I, wasn't getting any, I wasn't getting any blowback from anyone saying, oh, this ain't right, or that's not right. It wasn't until Dean Blandino had to get up this morning from his high-rise in Ivory Tower to tweet, you know, that it was correct, and Mike Pereira later followed. So once those guys chimed in, everyone's like, oh, you're an idiot. But I wasn't getting anyone telling me these rules before those guys. So that's one. I mean, I'll tell you right now, anyone telling me that they knew before today that it's legal to have four guys on each side of the field as long as three are inside the hash mark and one's outside the numbers, no one ever knew that before today. Anyone saying that is full of shit. I mean, it is <laughs> ridiculous. I've never, I mean, I'm, I am glad I know it now. I know what to look for. I literally just wrote the other day that I was going to do an onside kick study this off season. I was mostly just going to be stats on like the last 20 years. But, you know, I guess now I'm going to have to add some video analysis just to see all the different ways teams use it. Because someone like suggested to me, I bet you some teams don't use that six-man. Uh, again, I should have not have used the word wedge. That was a mistake. I should have used bunch, I mean, a bunch wedge. Uh, similar words, but I should have said bunch. But um, again, I I've seen teams use you know four by two. I've seen three by three. Uh, there's a lot of different ways you can do it. You can do five and five. Uh, that might work better on a surprise on sidekick. So there's a lot of different ways to do it. Uh, ideally, I think the six man bunch would probably work the best just to have that you know as many guys as possible to run into the uh, kicking the receiving team. So that's something I'll look at uh, when I have time this offseason, see what are the different types of onside kick formations, uh, just to see how common that one is. But, again, it's legal. You know, they get, they had the six guys all outside the number on that side, so that's legal. But, you know, again, this rule that's widely reported everywhere somehow never, and I still didn't get an answer from any official kind of person on that, on why that rule doesn't exist when it was written as it does. I mean, it's supposed to be a 2009 rule change, and yet it doesn't seem to ever have passed in anything. So uh, somebody, somebody with the Associated Press screwed up, but uh, that was never picked up. And a lot of people wrote about that, but uh, apparently that's not true. You can have more than five bunch together, but you know, they got to have three on in, three outside the hash and one outside the number. So that's the rule, which nobody knew until a few hours ago. So. There's my contribution yeah. for the day. The, uh, the best explanation that I could find to, earlier today when this was all going on uh, was, was I think, Scott, what, what you mentioned that one of your readers had brought to your attention that um, that, that would, would make sense was if the rule was meant to, to be that you can't have more than five inside the hash marks. So you have to have at least three on both sides. Um, yeah, which you know, math-wise, all works out. But it's just a really odd way for that to re be reported in the media that you can't have, and you know, it never says that you can't have in you know, the way that it was reported in. And it, like you said, it was it's on ESPN. You can find it on the Washington Post. I mean, it's an AP story that went everywhere. And the way that it was worded was just that you can't have more than five bunch together. And it, it doesn't necessarily say in between the hash marks. So uh, definitely some room for confusion there. Glad we are all. Uh, on the same page now, you can have six guys on one side of the ball, if any of our listeners are wondering, on an onside kick. In fact, that's how teams usually do it. Um, there's also a caveat in the rule book 
Um, there's a note at the bottom of that section on on free kicks that's that says that basically that the rules are kind of that some I mean, I'm not sure which rules it's talking about, but it says the rules are invalid basically if the team is showing a uh, what was the what was the wording if if the team is showing a blatant obvious onside formation. kick yeah or an obvious onside kick formation. So there's the NFL rule book is a little fuzzy in places, and so oh, reporting. Yeah of the NFL rule book can be even fuzzier. Uh, so some controversy that probably wasn't necessarily needed this morning, but uh, glad that you're still alive and, and your Twitter account hasn't been deleted yet, Scott. That's why I usually sleep in the AM hours. I know that same here. I think the morning makes people crazy. All right. I had to finish uh, an article, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm usually yeah I'm usually up until the wee hours of the morning anyway so I have to sleep through the morning. Uh, let's see. All right, Scott. Uh, I'm thinking we'll come back next week for another you know shorter, uh, yep. know, 30 45 minute show to preview the Super Bowl that will give us a week to to dig into some of these matchups and come back next week all prepared. So uh, anything in particular that we need to keep an eye out for from you this week? Well, just before we were on the air, we my postseason uh, quarterback playoff drive stats. Uh, I've been doing it for four or five years now. That went up on Football Outsiders. Uh, add, added Andrew Luck to it this year. So a lot of talk about Luck in there. I mean, just some of the ridiculous uh, stuff about his interceptions and how much the Colts have trailed in the playoffs. So that, 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 went up, that just went up. So definitely check that out. And tomorrow on Insider, I should have – uh, feature up about Russell Wilson taking the Tom Brady path to success, uh, but doing a better job of it. And if you're a Colts fan, we've got uh, off season looking looking to looking to off season stuff for the Colts uh, on both Colts Authority, and then uh, I got some stuff on Bleacher Report this week as well. So you can find that uh, there are links on on our Twitter accounts for Scott. It's uh, fo underscore Scott Kazmar K A C S M A R. For myself, it's Colts Auth underscore Kyle, Auth, A-U-T-H underscore Kyle. All right. Uh, with that, then we will see you all next week for a Super Bowl preview. Uh, until then, stay safe, and uh, we'll see you next week.